Welcome to the Start a Brewery podcast, where we discuss all things relating to startups, open and growing breweries from concept to execution. We are pleased to partner with All About Beer to bring you this podcast. You're joining us today for episode 002, Your Dream, The Gut Check. I'm Laura Lodge here with Candice Moon, and we're excited to welcome you to our ongoing podcast journey. Our mission today continues the thread from our inaugural episode where we discussed the inspiration to open a brewery, that dream as it first presented itself and began to take shape. Today, we follow that with the critical questions that you should ask yourself as you make the decision to move forward with your dream. These are the deal breakers, the alarm bells to respect, and the signals that should be heeded lest you move forward into hazardous, potentially disastrous areas with a fledgling business. This discussion bridges the dream with the preliminary steps you will need to take to create your initial business plan. And these topics, though critical, are not necessarily dream crushers. Some can inspire you to evaluate and shift in the necessary direction to find a solid path forward, and others may be of greater consequence and require a significant overhaul. So today on the podcast, we have uh, Jeff Mandel, Tom Hennessy, and Carrie Shumway. Jeff Mandel is a member of the board of directors of Left Hand Brewing Company in Longmont, Colorado. He was one of the founders of Tabernash Brewing, which opened in 1993. In 1998, Tabernash merged with Left Hand, and Jeff was and still is very active in the brewing world and used to teach a beer appreciation course. Jeff was also co-founder and director of the Colorado Brewers Guild, a member of the Brewers Association Events Committee since 2006, assisting with the planning and execution of signature events such as GABF, CBC, and Sabre, former director of the Institute of Brewing Studies, and awarded the Brewing Studies Recognition Award in 1993. Tom Hennessy has opened seven breweries of his own and helped open over 130 more with his Colorado Boy Brewery Immersion Course. He is the founder, along with past partners of multiple restaurants in multiple states. His video, Frankenbrew, from 1995, has become a cult classic in the brewing world. His three previous brewing books include The Brewery Operations Manual, The Affordable Brewery, and Colorado Boy SOP. Tom also has a new ebook for any business with customers, The Business Operating System. Tom lives, brews, and writes in his mountain town of Ridgeway, Colorado, with his wife, Sandy. And last but not least, Carrie Shemway, owner of Craft Brewery Finance and publisher of Beer Business Finance, brings a wealth of experience in strategic planning, finance, distribution, logistics, pricing strategies, cash flow planning, budgeting, and more. He's a faculty member for UVM's Business of Craft Beer program. Carrie is also a CPA, a former CFO for a beer distributor, and current CFO for Wormtown Brewery in Worcester, Massachusetts. He spent the last 20 years using finance to help improve financial results in his beer businesses. Now he helps other craft breweries do the same. Welcome, gentlemen. Howdy. That was a lot. You guys have done a lot. That was a lot to talk about. That's a lot of years. <laughs> okay, so let's jump into it. Um, I'm going to basically throw out a question. We'll start with, uh, we'll basically go in the same order as the intro. Start with Jeff. Um So, Jeff, what factors did you uh, look for when you were evaluating the viability of your original business uh, dream vision with Tabernash? Well, you know, that was a long time ago. The market was way different. Uh, There were only about 300 breweries uh, at at that time. 
So the market itself looked like it was open. Uh, you know, one of the bigger questions we had to ask ourselves was what kind of beer we were going to make. Uh, what uh, the primary, primarily everybody at that time was making ales. That's what was different. Uh, so we chose to do something even more different, make lager. <laughs> and uh, in a sense, we may have outthought ourselves uh, because, of course, it's more expensive to make lager. And at the time, uh, it was really difficult to um, to uh, separate or, or, or recoup that that time uh, in the price market price. Uh, at that that was a time when uh, craft beer was all considered to be equal, if you will. There was a price for craft beer, uh, and thankfully that has changed. Um, location is a bit is a big factor. Uh, and, uh, not just where you are, you know, you, you, you certainly want to be in a place where there's a lot of action or a lot of access. Uh, again, 35 years ago, tasting rooms were not a thing. Uh, you either were a brew pub or you were a manufacturer and you're, and you, we had a tasting room, but it was, it was a, a really small part of our business. It's not, certainly was not a focus of our business. Uh, so we needed to be located in a place where we could uh, get beer out to our customers or get or, or take in deliveries. We needed to be uh, up in a location that was shipping friendly. Uh, uh, I think a, a, a decision uh, regarding location uh, is owner owner lease. Uh, and I've had experience with both. Uh, and I think uh, if you can own, I think that's preferable. Uh, you know, uh, having as much control as possible over all aspects of your business, that's preferable. Uh, and then I think the last thing I would mention is the ownership group. Uh, another important aspect is how many of you are there. Uh, when we opened, there were four of us. I think from experience, that's too many. Um, you know, uh it's possible for owners to work and, and not take pay. Uh, but if you have a family, if you have kids, uh, that's less possible. And when you have four partners who are drawing from the cash stash, that is has a huge impact on your ability to do everything else in the business. I think, from my experience, the ideal number of, of founder partners would be two. That's That's my opinion based on experience. And I will cede the floor. <laughs> well, so I was going to ask, um, were the way you opened, is that the way you envisioned opening or were some of those changes that you made along the way, you know, did you originally plan to open with five owners or was it you started with yourself and then added more people or? No, we, we were a four person ownership group from the start. Uh, we felt it would be advantageous from a division of labor. Uh, we felt it would be advantageous from uh, accessing capital, more four networks to tap into. Uh, and and those were true. Uh, but it also uh, makes dis decision making more difficult. You need to be decisive, definitive, and oftentimes swift uh, and getting agreement or consensus among four is a greater challenge. And uh, we did not foresee the financial 
impact that four partners would have on four active partners would have on the business. Uh, we had of the four partners, three were married, uh, two had young children, uh, one had a, a wife in graduate school. I was the only bachelor. Uh, you know, I certainly should have, could have deferred payment uh, and taken stock or or waited, uh, and that would have reduced the cash impact. But you know, everybody wants to be treated equally, uh, and so we all took small pay. You know, we were we, we were not we were we took like twenty grand a year each, but that's eighty thousand dollars of cash right there. So, I think uh, you know the size of the ownership group uh, is, is a big deal. Awesome, thank you, Tom. You have worked with I don't even know what what the the, the adjective I want to use uh, a large number of breweries in addition to your own. What what factors do you look for or think about when evaluating the vi- the viability of of someone's vision? Well, yeah, I agree with Jeff. You know, almost everything he said. I had three partners too, but we already had restaurants when we did our first one. Uh, when I added the brewery to our first pizzeria in 93 and they didn't care. I just thought it would be cool back then to do that. And in in a way that's kind of like, uh, that's the acorn. It's just, it's just that, that kind of internal fire you have. We've actually been approached by some people that want to take our class because they just want to make money. And we've, even turn people down because I'd much rather have the plumber who's tired of being a plumber and has this really cool little location in some little town and just wants to make beer. To me, it's the desire. And I know Jeff and his partners and I remember Tabernash, very cool brewery. Uh, You know, they, they must've had the desire. I know Jeff did anyway. um, So that's the first thing. Um, so the pay wasn't as a big deal because we had other restaurants. Um, and I, the only thing they told me is just don't spend a lot of money, which is what got me into this whole thing of <laughs> Frankenbrew. Um, but the other thing is like, like even when I go to uh, Colorado Boy in Ridgeway, which is a tiny town with a tiny little brewery, seven barrel. The second thing was, is it a good fit for the town? It's like, does this town need... And almost every town needs a, a, a gathering place. And there was no other competition. Well, we opened that one in 2008, right at the height of the economy collapsing. That's another story. But, um, but the town needed, it, it needed a place where people could gather. And it just, it, it fit with my desire for that little pub, comfortable place where people can carry on conversations, no TVs. Um, but then the, the money thing, and I'm really anxious to hear what Carrie has to say about this. Um, but for me, it's uh, before I go do anything like a lot of students, they've tried to figure out how many pints do they have to sell an hour and do all this kind of stuff and break it down. I, I take a really big picture and I say, what is my what is my rent? So either if you own a building, you have a note or if you're renting, you have a, a a fee there. I take that number and I divide it by 0.077%. In other words, I don't want my rent to be higher than 7% of my gross sales. You can go 
different ways around that, but it's a quick way to do it for me. Um, so if I, if I have, you know, a thousand dollars or whatever, $2,000 a month rent, I divide that by 0.07. And then I look at that number and that grows there and I go, can I do that? Is it, now, if I'm open 30 days, I divide that, that's how many days. Now I can work backwards from there. And if I'm comfortable with that, I can massage all the other numbers to make that work. How much can I pay? Um, and then you get into the cost of sales and all the other stuff. But that's my, that's kind of my starting point, uh, numbers wise. You know, for, well, first, I've got the desire. You know, I just have to brew beer. You know, as, as many years as I've done this, I've never regretted going to work. Uh, two is, is, is my concept, my idea, a good fit for the town or where I'm going to be in the town if I'm in a big city. And then three, you know, just the raw numbers. You know, what do I what do I have to do in sales to make this work? You can go as high as 10 percent uh, rent for sales. But but after that, it seems to me you're working for the landlord or the bank or something like that. Um, it's nice if you get down to about five percent or something, then you're then you can make some money. So those are kind of the things for me that get me going. Uh, after that, it's just finding that building, because once you've got the space, everything else falls after that, you know. That's a piece of cake. If gotcha. Thank you. Okay, Carrie, tell us the numbers. What, yeah, the what are you looking for? Okay. Tom said he was he was anxious to hear what I was about to say, and I'm like, I'm anxious to hear what I'm about to say too. Never, know, I'm never, never quite sure what's going to come out. Um, yeah, I agree with what these guys are saying. I mean, I think there's when you're evaluating the viability of any project, you kind of split into at least two buckets, right? There's the qualitative stuff. You know, that is kind of your, you know, your gut feel. What does the market look like? Does this town need another brewery? Do I have the desire to do? I think that's a really important fact. You know, all of those things that you can't exactly measure, but you know, they're really real. Um, and then there's the quantitative stuff, the stuff that you can measure and you can do all sorts of cool spreadsheets. And that's generally where I live. So when I work with brewery clients on this, they'll come to me and say, you know, I, I, I want to start a brewery and here's, here's my concept. And I've got, you know, everybody's at a different stage. You know, they have funding or they don't, they're trying to get funding or they've got it. Uh, they have a location or they don't, they're going through the whole checklist of, you know, we've started a, an LLC or we haven't, you know, we've got our partners lined up or we don't. So you kind of go through all these things. Typically where I start with folks is really just on how are you going to fund this thing? So what's it going to cost? And then how are you going to pay for it? So we do a basic sources and uses schedule. So the uses are generally easy. People are like, well, I found this really cool place and the landlord's going to give me this deal, but I got to put in X amount. And I've got all my, you know, I've, I've specced out all my equipment and I know what it's going to cost. Uh, so they have a generally a pretty good idea of what those uses are going to be in order to get up and running. And they're not, and they're not bad. You know, most of, most of the time and effort is spent on all the stuff we want to buy in order to get up and running. And then the other side of the equation is, you know, the sources, where are we actually gonna get that? So that's where it gets tricky. Um, and it's generally cobbled together. It's a combination of, you know, there's a there's a founder or two or 10 and they're each gonna put in X amount and then dad's gonna kick in so much and then friends and family. And then we're gonna talk, we're gonna get an SBA loan. And you talk about sort of this, this Frankenstein approach to financing, that happens too. Um, so really, that's the starting point is what do, you, what do you need to spend in order to get up and running and where are you going to get the funds to do it? Um, 
and most people don't really start there. They kind of start with all the beers that they want to make and, you know, they're going to distribute here. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. How are you going to pay for it? What do you need? How are you going to pay for it? And then the thing that often gets overlooked too is not just where you're going to get the money and how you're going to deploy that capital, but how are you going to pay it back? Because um, debt service is very real. And in my experience, you know, working with clients, uh, debt is, is the single biggest contributing factor to uh, having, having breweries fail is they just, they just can't service the debt. So we, you know, we expand too quickly. Uh, you know, things are going really well. A lot of folks really saw this pre-COVID, you know, we're doing really well. We're doing well, you know, we're expanding and let's, let's expand even further. And all of a sudden the market shifts and the pandemic was unusual in our lifetimes, but it's not unusual in the scheme of, you know, market cycles. So things happen. Uh, so that sort of risk assessment is really important too, not just from, hey, what can I stomach for risk, but what can my what can my PL stomach in terms of covering this debt? So I think first, my what I def, uh, typically recommend when you're starting, what is how do I assess the viability? I look at it from a financial standpoint. What's it going to cost? Where am I going to get the money? And what is that money going to cost me in terms of servicing the debt? And then what does my financial plan look like in terms of being able to cover that debt? You know, if your banks or any investors are going to want to know, how am I going to get my money back? And you need to demonstrate it to me. So we, did, we need to have that whole financial plan to say, here's what we expect for cash flows coming in. Here's what we expect for cash flows going out, service the debt and our other obligations. Then hopefully all that stuff adds up and then we've got a, got a nice looking picture. So it's, it's tricky because it's always, there's a lot of estimates. Uh, you know, we, there's a lot of unknowns, uh, but it really starts with kind of going through the checklist of items, you know, sources, uses, debt service obligations, how does that compare to your cash flow? So all that fun stuff. When you said fun spreadsheets, I was like, wow, that's a, that's a different outlook, <laughs> at least than me. If that resonates with anyone. You're my people out there. <laughs> people. So I'm actually going to throw one thing out because I've run into this a couple of times um, in terms of, of evaluating the viability. And it's generally when I will occasionally get clients who have no experience in the alcohol industry that are coming for, especially when, you know, they're seeing the, um, the success of seltzer in the market. And so alcoholic seltzer. So they decide to jump in and I definitely think folks need to evaluate the legality of their vision because we'll get a lot of people who are like, well, I want to make this beer and distribute it and sell it myself to consumers. And you kind of have to explain, well, we have this thing called the three tier system and every state's different and some states allow things, but I, I've definitely had to have that conversation with more than one startup. So um, again, that, that, that can definitely, unfortunately make you modify your vision. Jeff, did you want to add to that? Well, the, the subject of trademarks, you know, we have now somewhere in the neighborhood of 150,000 beers out there in the market with different names. And so, you know, it seemed like uh, right from the start, you'd want to enlist the help of a trademark attorney just so you know that you're in the clear. Uh, you know, it, it can be very disruptive to your business to find out some sometime after you've made your investments and started doing business that uh, you're using a name that somebody else already owns. <laughs> intellectual property. So. Very true. Very true. I'm sure we're going to have a whole episode on trademarks at some point in time. That's a good one. 
<laughs> so lots of stories. Uh, I have a question for Kerry. This is kind of maybe beyond starting the brewery, but at what point and how long do you have to uh, have a track record before you can go back to your lenders and renegotiate your terms to get more advantageous financing? Um, yeah, I think it depends on a number of factors. I mean, I always, I, I typically advocate for, you know, build a relationship before you actually need it. And most people don't want to because they don't really want to hang out with their banker very much uh, or their CPA. That's me or their lawyer. Sorry, Candy. <laughs> uh, but we know we know the drill. Um, so I think the first response I would have is it never hurts to say, you know, I, I I really believe that your, you know, building your professional team is super important. Right. So have a good relationship with your with your CPA, with your attorney, with your banker and so forth, your insurance person, all of these people. They're, first and foremost, they're people. They're human beings. They want to help. They really do want to help you. And, you know, we're in a great industry because they generally they love beer, too. Um, so you can build that relationship first. You know, how long of a track record do you need? I think they, you know, it, the, the old standard of, you know, like the five C's, you know, your your credit, your collateral, you know, your character. So th that still holds true. So I think really under first and foremost is understanding the needs of your of your commercial lender of your banker like they've got bosses too and very often they have loan committees and the loan committees have you know so you kind of it, it's helpful to do a little bit of research in terms of what is the hierarchy in the decision making process so that you can position yourself to be in the best spot to to get that refinancing uh the last thing i would say is that um you know, the, the bankers are, your, are going to be your advocates so long as you keep them in the communication loop. If you decide, oh, I got bad news, I don't really want to tell that person. Uh, that's actually not a good way to go because they don't like surprises. Most people don't. And particularly, they don't like bad financial surprises. So I think the more proactive you are in sharing good news and bad, bringing them into the tap room if you got one and sharing and doing it over a beer um, and building that consistent relationship. And then looking at what is it that you want to, what does it mean favorable terms? So, you know, we're in a period right now as we're recording this of rising interest rates, but not a great time to renegotiate unless, you know, you're looking for an extended term. So there's different ways to help your cash flow. You could re-amortize your loan, right? Say you're sitting on a five-year loan, you got a decent interest rate, but man, those payments are crushing you. Well, could you refinance that, re-amortize the remaining balance over, say, the next seven years? That's going to help a tremendous amount. So I think understanding the dynamics of how that works, um, you know, if you're in a position of, you know, being a business owner, a brewery or otherwise, um, and really understanding wh how, what is your end goal? So if you're trying to improve cash flow, that's one way to do it. Uh, rates are not always the, and then there's personal guarantees. There's all sorts of loan covenants that might be biting you in the, in the rear. Uh, that's really important. So you want to understand the components, uh, what it is you're trying to get. But I think the, un the underscore on this is build a relationship before you, need to go in and make that ask. Great info. Okay. I'm just going to throw in, I think Carrie brings up a good point, finding your people. I think there's a lot to be said for finding the attorney that understands and you can relate to and um, you feel is comfortable with alcohol regulation and, you know, finding people who understand the industry and finding people who have time for you who support your vision, who understand your vision, who believe in your vision, because I think that's, it's super important to have those educated, experienced advocates. And if you're talking to somebody who really doesn't have time for you and doesn't seem to believe that what you're doing is possible, they're not a good fit for your team. 
And it's also good to find out why. Um, perhaps they are looking at your vision saying, we just really don't think this is going to fly. Um, in which case, you know, that's really good intel as well. But finding your people and making sure you find people who are savvy about what you're doing, I think is super key. And we haven't really talked about that before. Good point. Excellent. Okay. So second question. So what have you guys seen that can crop up to pretty much kibosh the viability of a vision? Like, are there any factors that literally um, make you have to start from scratch versus being able to shift, pivot, modify what you're doing? Um, and I'll, the first one I'll throw out was, again, if, if it's not legal to do what you want to do, you definitely are going to have to modify it. And that is a state by state specific thing. Um, Jeff, what have you run into? Well, uh, we had a real life situation where uh, location fell through at a critical time. Uh, we were able to uh, uh, push through because I lent my house to the effort. Uh, this was a case where we were going to sign a lease on a place. And so we were so certain we were going to do that, that we went out to an auction and bought 300 Sankey kegs for 12,000 bucks. And we put them on a roadway truck and they were heading to Denver. Uh, and then the lease fell through and we had nowhere to put them. Uh, and I was the only bachelor in the, in the crew. So uh, we decided that uh, they'd live at my house. And so we had, I had 240 kegs in my house and 60 kegs in my shed. Uh, and it took four months to find find a home for him, find a location. So that <laughs> almost, almost kiboshed our, uh, you know, uh, because anything, anything that happens like that, that extends the amount of time it's going to take to get to open the doors, you're spe spending more money. You only have a certain amount of money and you're trying to, you know, be pretty much on budget th this much for this and this much for that. And, and if, things like that happen and it takes longer to get to, to the beginning, to the starting line, you have less money left when you get to the starting line. Uh, and, you know, I think a general rule of thumb is you want to have something like nine months of working capital in the bank when you open the doors. And, you know, I think opening a, a, a brewery or any business is kind of like building a house, you know, uh, it always takes longer and costs more than you're expecting. Uh, no matter how hard you try to, keep control of these things, you know, you hit, you're so dependent on so many other providers for supplies and, and work. And if something happens with one of them, you know, it holds up the whole, the whole operation, you know, you can draw a PERT diagram and, and, and diagram things out that would work in syn synchronicity. But if one thing goes wrong, the whole, the whole equation gets messed up. Yeah, one thing too a lot of people don't realize is that you can't brew any beer until you have your state and federal licenses, which you can't apply for until you have your lease or your deed. So you're looking at a period of time of no income in as part of that process. So I think a lot of people don't realize that. You know, if you you'd want to compress compress the process as much as possible. So you have as much left in the bank when you open the doors. Tom, what are your thoughts? What have you seen completely kill a vision or versus something that can be modified or changed? Well, like like Jeff, we were going to do, a, it was in 95, our third El Vicino Wood Oven Pizza Brewery and had a location in Fort Collins. 
and uh, everything lined up. I think there weren't that many breweries then. Um, but the day before we were to sign the lease, let's just check with the town about our wood oven pizza. <laughs> I said, no, no wood ovens in the town. of. I've changed it since. The day before, the whole thing fell through, and we wound up opening one in Colorado Springs instead. Long story, but um, so so yeah, due diligence before you know. And I always tell people, you know, uh, one of your very first things is to go to zoning and uh, and show them everything you plan to do, and to meet with the building inspectors, especially if it's in a smaller town where you can actually get to know them, because then you're right up front, and they know you're not going to pull anything over because you're trying. Here's Here's what I want to do. Here's my space. Walk through it with me. I haven't signed the lease yet. Do you see any problems? Um, and, and which leads me to the next point. A big problem that I see in a lot of places, people never think about sprinkler systems. And anything I believe now, 5,000 feet or more, needs one. We had to put a sprinkler system in Colorado Springs in 96 because it had a basement where our office was, and then the people were upstairs. And that sprinkler system was about $45,000, which incidentally cost more than my brewing equipment back then. Um, and, you know, some of these big buildings, you know, that can be a real killer deal. The other is, is you know, like, like am I going to lose my house if this falls through or things like that, which gets back to the earlier point. You know, when you're building your team, uh, when we very first started, we had a really good friend who was our lawyer a really good friend who is our CPA and another good friend who was a banker. The banker lost his job and we got new bankers and we opened our, I think our third restaurant. The banker came in and said, oh, my place. And I just was, he just was not part of the team. So I've got this thing about banks and I don't like to borrow money when I open a business. That sounds funny, but when I teach a class, first of all, I try, I, I'm not talking about a packaging brewery. That's a totally different story, Jeff. But uh, I'm talking about a brew pub. You know, uh, you can, if you can get an existing restaurant, coffee house, bakery, something that's already zoned for food, probably already zoned for liquor, uh, you can put a system in there and you can, you can open a brew pub for $150,000. So if you've got 150000 that you know you need to you need to do well you might have a 401k you might have you know some savings things like that where you can come up with maybe a hundred thousand on your own you still need another 50 or you need 75 you can probably find enough family members or friends to say give me ten thousand dollars as a loan i'm going to pay you ten percent interest and the collateral is this equipment that you can see every day and I'm just going to write an interest check every month, 10%. So $100,000, that's, you know, $833 a month is your payment. And I and part of the deal, I can add some uh, principal to that and start paying you off. This one person, this one cousin who lent me $10,000 is a real pain in the ass. Well, I'm going to pay him off first and get him out of there. And then I can offer premiums. You get some free swag, you get a little bit of beer. And now I've got these four guys or 10 that are goodwill ambassadors out in the community say, hey, check this place out. So, you know, for me, it's I don't want to lose my house. I don't want to lose stuff. So I don't want to go to a bank. If I'm opening a place 
like Jeff has, yes, I, you know, it's capital intensive. Um, and anybody that survived as long as Jeff, they know what they're doing. Um, but I, I push everybody else to stay away from shelf space. Let's talk about brew pubs. It's you'll, you'll be much happier, make more money. That's my story. <laughs> and nice. I would just like to add one other factor. You know, Tom talked about zoning and the, and the wood fired oven, uh, ADA access. Yes. Is, is an important factor. And if your building doesn't have it, our, our building didn't have it, then that's an unanticipated cost. And it's, it's expensive to build a cement ramp with a steel rail. I can tell you that. Right. It, can I just add one more thing then? So if you, if you, you've got a space, you've, you've written a letter of intent, you've kind of locked it up for 30 days or 45 days, and you do a quick drawing of what it's going to look like, really get, get that building inspector to do a walkthrough with you because they'll, they'll point out all those little things really quick. And you can then factor that in before you commit. Cause yeah, there's always going to be something that jumps out at you. And every, at some prop point in your process, some government official is going to throw something at you that just makes no sense in every single deal. Just be ready for it. You're going to go, what? <laughs> but I, everybody has their stories. For sure. Okay, Carrie, what in your world? Boy, it's tough because there's so many things that can go wrong. Um, <laughs> And there's a big checklist. So I, I, I am a fan of checklists and spreadsheets, which is not surprising. But so I, I guess I would say when we were so in a previous life, when we were doing, we would be sort of uh, mergers and acquisition type stuff. We, we would have these massive due diligence checklists and you really would have to go through them because you'd forget. Oh, that's right. I got to check with this. I got to check with that. So I do think it's very important for folks to have a resource like startabrewery.com. So you can go there and go through you know, what should I be looking for uh, to kind of stress test this idea? Um, so that's just very uh, rudimentary, but super important. You got to do the due diligence. You got to do your homework and you got to have the discipline to follow through on that. And it's hard because it's it's not any fun. I mean, most people that I work with, they're not they're not starting a brewery to do checklists and due diligence. They want to brew beer and sell beer and have the bodies come in and drink beer. And that's, you know, exactly. But in order for this to be viable, so what I see that can kibosh the vision um, is really kind of falling in love with an idea and sort of getting all Pollyanna about and not really looking at what's actually right in front of you. You know, not we're, we're, I've heard this so many times. Incredible. It's like people would be explaining the concept and the idea. And they're like, there's no way we can screw this up. There's no way. And I'm thinking there's a million ways you can screw this up. And it's probably going to happen if that's going to be your attitude. So we got to go through the checklist. I'll, I'll go back to my bread and butter, which is on the finance side, is if the numbers don't work on paper, they're probably not going to work in real life. Um, so I would advocate for not only doing, you know, that that planning process, you know, and looking at, you know, your startup capital requirements and how you're going to fund it and so forth, but really stress testing that as well and saying, all right, what, what's sort of a best case, worst case scenario? Very simple approach, but we tend to get fairly aggressive when we're projecting sales. Oh, it's going to be incredible. And we tend to be very conservative when it, when it comes to projecting our expenses. We're not going to have to spend, I'm going to do all this and I'm going to, that almost never works. So really being, you know, introducing a little bit of reality, even if it's just on paper, even if it's just, you can always, you know, change your, your spreadsheet. Uh, but I would, I would definitely run 
a couple of different models and say, is this thing really going to work? And then I would ask, I'd look in the mirror and ask some questions relative to your own uh, risk tolerance, because losing your house is a real thing. And I'm working with clients that are on the verge of losing their homes. Um, and nobody wants to be in that position. And it's, 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 when you go into business, you're taking a measure of risk. You simply can't avoid it. I like what Tom was saying is, you know, if you can bootstrap this thing, by all means, if you can fund it through your own cash flow, by all means. Uh, but that is tough because, you know, it's a lot of sweat equity. And most folks fall in love with this, this visions of grandeur and want all the best, shiny, newest things. That's just kind of how that, how it is, at least in my experience out there. Um, so really stress test your numbers. You don't want to be in a position where you're like, I can't make payroll. The bank's going to pull my loan. Uh, you know, this whole thing just can kind of collapse pretty quickly if you're not careful. So before you even get to that point, I'm going to bring it right back. Do your spreadsheets, do your stress tests. If it works on paper, all right, then you got to go execute that plan. But yeah, I'd, I'd look really closely at your own, own risk tolerance as to how much you can take there. So Carrie, do you tell people who want to brew beer and drink beer and have beer for their friends to drink to stay a home brewer? <laughs> <laughs> I'd say you probably got a lot of great choices, right? You know, within a 10 mile drive of your house, why don't you go enjoy those? No, people don't want to hear that. They, you know, I, I, I love the idea. I think there's plenty of room to run out there. I don't think the market's saturated. I think it's really, you know, geographically specific in terms of where there's, there's still a lot of opportunity, but I think it's, yeah, it's just being realistic with it. You know, have the dream, have the passion, have the desire, uh, like we've talked about, uh, but have a spreadsheet too, and really just kind of make sure this is going to work. You, you don't want to be in a financial bind. It's really no fun. Yeah. I, I've heard a lot of uh, brewery owners say at the end of the day, it you still have to run a business. It's a business. And I, a lot of my brewer clients who started their own breweries are a little, I don't want to say surprised, but maybe disappointed that they have to spend more time running a business than actually brewing beer. Laura, what did you want to add? Um, I, just a question for Tom. Tom, do you see people that have created a business plan that doesn't work and want to find a way to retool it through some of your innovative, like reducing equipment costs and things like that, so they can bring it back around and redesign it so it will work? Yeah, that's about 50% of the time. They usually show up, like uh, like Carrie was saying, with these beautiful brewing systems, you know, and visions of you know two million dollars in sales and 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 menus that 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 are three pages long and but they have no restaurant experience and i mean i i i don't want to be rude but i just want to tear their business plan up and and we and usually in our class we start from scratch let's let's make this happen and i carrie i am a, a spreadsheet geek and only thing I love more than spreadsheets are checklists. I have a checklist every day of everything I do. And that's what, and so people, they come to the class, they want to get their hands on the stainless steel. They want to get, they want to put their rubber boots on and, and that's running a brewery. But like, yes, we're going to do all that, but no, we're going to also, we're going to go through spreadsheets. We're going to go through numbers. We're going to figure out how little you can survive on. Uh, you know, what's a worst case scenario, what's the best case scenario, and we're going to synthesize your whole, your, your whole business. Like, what, what is it really about? And what are its chances of survival? Um, I mean, yeah, so I, did I answer your question? Yes. <laughs> okay. Jeff, did you want to add something? Well, a couple of things. One, uh, just to 
to go back to Tom's point about um, not wanting to not not wanting to borrow money and not wanting to have any collateral, and and Carrie's point about uh, uh, you know my partner Eric Wallace, I guess you could say he has uh, uh, balls of steel because <laughs> he had his house on a loan for twenty years. His, his so. Uh, Kerry was talking about risk aversion. Uh, Eric obviously has uh, a tolerance. Uh, we tried for 10 years to get him to take his house off the loan. And he was comfortable enough to keep it and to, on, on that as collateral for an additional 10 years. It's only been like 10 or 11 years since he took the house off, off his collateral. Uh, so I... You know, there are people in this business who have that tolerance, and it is important, as Kerry says, to try and understand what your tolerance is, because putting your house on a loan is a huge risk. And and especially, it's one thing if it's just you, like me, I was a bachelor, when I, me and my house, my little shack, no big deal. But you got a kid, so you got a family, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. The other yeah. thing is, I think that most people who want to get into the brewery business, there's passion, there's excitement. And we're primarily thinking about making beer and selling beer. And in my experience, uh, a brewery business, particularly the type of brewery business I'm involved in, is one of the most complex businesses I can actually imagine. The number of different functions and skills that need to be brought together to make this happen, the number of issues that we do not consider uh, employee handbook. Uh, you know, what are we going to do with our brewing waste? Uh, all mundane things like that, that do not create excitement that don't sound like they have much to do with our desire to make and sell beer, but are really important to operating the business. And so, you know, what, one of our roles as educators and mentors is, is to inform these people that, Making beer is really a tiny part of what this business is about. It's it's the vehicle, but there's so many other things around it that need to happen, that need to be in place for you to be able to make beer and sell beer. And and I think a lot of people are naive about that when they want to get into the business. Yeah, I know I tell a lot of people. So I um, every couple of years I do a business plan, a craft brewery or actually, I guess, craft beverage business plan class for us, uh, San Diego State University. And the most um, interesting class of that is we have someone come in and kind of walk them through a pro forma. So I I, I do see spreadsheets, you know, I, I don't teach the spreadsheet class, but, and it's, and I think this is one of the biggest gut checks is, you know, here's your vision, you got to price it out, um, you know, as many expenses as you can think of. And then what money do you believe is going to be coming in? And I mean, the guy who who works at, um, who actually will be on next week's podcast, um, uh, William Camacho, like it's much as like, okay, here's your space, here's your system. If you bid, um, what's your price per square foot? So your rents based on where you're located. And then if you were to brew 24 seven, what is the most beer you can make in a, you know, a week if, if you wanted to brew that often? And then you basically just run all the numbers. And then the one thing he doesn't have them put in the spreadsheet is what they're going to pay themselves. And so he's like, did you break even? And people are like, yeah. He goes, and they, you haven't paid yourself yet. And it's amazing how many people are like, oh, hmm. 
And, you know, and again, and it also, that also goes to the partner uh, question, Jeff, that you were talking about earlier is that, you know, I also point out to people, it's really hard for one person to open a brewery by themselves. It's not impossible, but there are just so many things like you were talking about employee handbooks, so many things you have to think about and get done. And there's only 24 hours in a day. And most people would like to have, you know, like to sleep, you know, have a life outside the brewery. But to try and remember everything that has to get done is really hard sometimes when you're one person. And if you, most of my clients don't have the money to hire people to, to do all those things, like they're responsible. And I've seen numerous spouses become the de facto business partner numerous times because they kind of just got drafted in. And next thing you know, you know, they are the business partner. So um, yeah, it, it, I love that part where like the the light bulb goes off, like, wait, I'm not going to make any money, like at least not that first year. And so I, I joke that whoever I can talk out of opening brewery, I've, I've done a huge service that day. <laughs> so Laura? We've seen a number of people that have said uh, one of the ways to determine if you really want to do this is to take a period of time and go volunteer live, live in a brewery, live the daily routine, live what it would take to do that and get to know as much as you can first and see what it would be like. Um, do, do any of you advocate that? Uh, what does that, what does that feel like? Or is that kind of a false sense of reality? Well, I, I think, I think if you can do it, definitely. Um, because the, we haven't talked about the biggest headaches, I believe, uh, owning a brewery and uh, number one is your employees um, especially these days because there aren't any uh, and number two <laughs> is it's just those regular customers that are drunk and that want to talk to you forever no matter how busy you are oh my god if you're gonna if you're gonna have a brewery make sure you have a back door Colorado <laughs> boy in Ridgeway doesn't have a back door so if you want to leave at the end of the day you got to walk through all those people drinking and they won't let you leave you need a back door, but the employees really is the big issue. And if you if you have an opportunity to wash glasses behind the bar or work in the kitchen or clean kegs, well, that's the fun stuff, cleaning kegs, because you don't have to deal with customers. But if you can be more in the customer area where you're dealing with the customers and understand that you have to move, if you're a regular person in the regular world, you operate at at a certain speed, but in in a customer service, in serving beer or something like that, it's it's one and a half times that you got to move really fast, and it's, you, you got to be in it to feel like, well, this is my life now. I'm constantly cleaning. I'm constantly moving. I'm constantly talking to people. I'm constantly adjusting the lights. I'm constantly adjusting the temperature. The music is wrong right now. I got to do. There's a million little things that you're just you're going so fast, which is fun if you're that type of person, but boy, if you can get into a, into a, just say, let me help bartend. I'll work for free. Whatever. <laughs> that would be really good. Jeff. Well, when we were preparing to open uh, our brewery, uh, we were going to be a draft only brewery. And so we actually volunteered to work on the draft team at GABF. So we could learn a little bit about draft systems and how to clean draft lines and whatnot. And Tom's point about em employees, you know, uh, my experience, you know, the business gets real when you hire your first employee. Mm -hmm. It's one thing when there's four partners 
and you're paying yourself a pittance and you do whatever you got to do. Whatever you got to do to make things work, you do it and you don't really care too much about the toll it takes on you. You know, you got it's your passion and you're and you're very invested in it. You hire an employee, now you've got somebody who doesn't have that investment in it, but is counting on your business for their livelihood. That is huge. That's a huge reality check. Uh, you have to be paying attention to their issues because your business is their life. They are counting on it. And, uh, you know, I think uh, that's an another thing that people wanted to get into the business. Uh, you know, it's hard to be familiar with it until you encounter it. But it, it's but it's a it's a it's a big reality punch when 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 you do it, when you hire that first employee and you have that responsibility of their their employee employment well-being, their safety uh, and their continued ability to earn a living. And that actually brings up my the lawyer perspective on volunteers yeah, as a I'm lawyer <laughs> for brewery owners. No volunteers. Yeah, you can't oh, do that. Fine, fine. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm just, I'm going to point out the biggest reason, uh, and you can check with your insurance agent. But Work volunteers himself. are not covered under your workers' comp policy. So if a volunteer injures themselves on your premises, you are likely liable. And and again, and I, I point out to people, not that people necessarily want to sue you, but based on the cost of medical bills these days, they may have no choice but to sue you to cover their costs if they are injured on your premises. So, we're so I would say get a part-time job. Okay. <laughs> be a beer tender, yeah. work at night, you know, get the experience, but I'm not a big yeah, fan exactly. of the volunteer. Plus as it's illegal business, in some states. As a yeah. business owner, protect yourself by getting a uh, personal umbrella policy. Yeah. Yeah. Got one. <laughs> yeah. Also true. Okay. Final words of wisdom. So if, if the last thing you can impart to people in terms of the gut check, how do they know when they think of their vision, what they need to potentially do to, to, to poke the holes, Jeff? Well, you know, I, I, I'm an advocate of if you're passionate about it, you pursue your dream. Uh, I, I hate to be the one to quash, quash somebody's effort to pursue their dream. But I think, uh, you know, the point that we made previously, Laura and Tom, about building your team, building out your team, I think that's most important. You know, surround yourself with the best advice that you can get. People who have experience doing what you have not yet done. Um, you know, you may, you, you may come from experience in the beer business, but you may not come from experience of running a business. Uh, you may have experience of running a business, but you may not have experience in the beer business. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I don't think it's necessarily important for the CEO to know beer. I think it's important for the CEO to know how to manage a business and hire people who know beer. Uh, so, you know, I, that's what I would say is surround yourself with the, the, the best knowledge that you can find. Uh, so that, uh, you know, you want to avoid the, the potholes that everybody else has already run through. Excellent. Tom. I'm assuming that anybody that's watching this already has a passion, you know. Um, so my number one thing is totally different. I agree with everything Jeff just said. 
it's going to be find a location, find a building that makes you have to do this deal because somewhere there's going to be this abandoned bowling alley, you know, that could be the coolest little brew pub or one of our students in Pennsylvania that had an 1890s firehouse. And he just, he had to make it a brewery or it could be just this, you know, older, older bakery that's gone out of business, but you can see, man, this is a great location. This would make such a good brewery. It's going to, it's going to make you solve all the problems in opening a brewery because you have this space and it, it's going to be what, what pushes you. So location is uh, finding that building to me is your starting point. I think if you have the passion and you do. Got it. Carrie. Well, this will be no surprise. <laughs> I would, I would say the first thing you got to do is you got to have a financial plan on paper. And it's interesting. I say it repeatedly because most, honestly, most people don't have one. Um, even those that are in, in existing business, I'll say, oh, you don't have a, you have a plan. Oh, no, not really. Well, why not? And the reasons are primarily like, oh, it's going to take too long. It'll be obsolete as soon as it's done. They, oh, what's the point? I mean, things are going to happen as they happen anyway, right? I'm like, well, not really. I mean, if you've, you know, the, the financial plan will be your roadmap, you know, to get where you want to go. And if we don't identify and quantify where we want to go, uh, we don't know where we're going to end up and we might not like it. <clears throat> So I would say uh, there for folks that are listening to this, that are really excited about building a brewery and getting started, you know, creating that financial plan is a lot easier than you might think. And we can really break it down into some simple steps. Doesn't have to be crazy. I don't even mind a back of the napkin. I, you know, I love my spreadsheets, but to really just kind of put some, put some thought into it. And I think what's most exciting beyond the numbers is when you're doing the financial planning, it's really an opportunity to dream about what you want to create and then put numbers behind it. So we can start with that. I always, I often advocate for, hey, just tell a story about what you want to do. <laughs> write it out. Or, well, what's your path to market? You're going to distribute. You're not going to distribute. Tap room only. You're going to have food. You're not going to have, you know, talk, write it out, write a little story. And then you can, you can come back and quantify it. But I think the financial plan is super important. And just like anything, it's hard the first time. It's hard the second time. It gets a little easier the third time. So it's a very important to make it sort of part of muscle memory. So we really advocate for, you know, that, that iterative approach. You're doing it not just once, but repeatedly. Make it, make it one of your activities of daily living. So financial plan. Got it. Jeff, did you want to add something? Well, it sounds to me like if you put together the, the great team, build your financial plan and find a location, what could go wrong? Don't <laughs> <laughs> screw it up. Laura, what do you want to add? Um, I, I think that the biggest thing that I've seen is that the, the desire for the dream to be real has been bigger than the willingness to pay attention to the messages that your advisors and your spreadsheets tell you. And so I, I, I probably sound like a broken record when I say you got to pay attention. If, if, the, if the message is you need to tweak it, you need to reframe it, you need to wait a little bit, then give it that time. Give it that consideration. Um, ask around a little bit more, look for a different spot. If your utilities are all wrong, you know, or it's just not gonna uh, like that, that uh, sprinkler system that Mindy was talking about, you know, if, if you're going to have to reinvent the wheel and rebuild the building, maybe it's not the best building. Um, and so I, th I think people get too stuck and they're going to make this happen come hell or high water. And, and maybe they need to wait till the water goes down. 
That's great advice. I've definitely seen that as well. I, I've seen everything that you guys have all talked about, as I'm sure you all have too. So mine has always been, and uh, is don't start a brewery to make money. <laughs> you can make a living and you may make money, but do it because you love it. And kind of the corollary to that is try not to take money from people who want to make money on their investment in your brewery. <laughs> um, you know, do your due diligence on your investors, make sure they're investing in you as a person and, a, and, you know, believe in you. And that's going to make your life just a whole lot easier in the long run. So, okay. Any other last words? No, I've really appreciated this. I, Good to see Jeff. I haven't seen him in a long time. Yeah, Tom. Great nice to see to you too. Great to meet everybody hear else. Hear your stories, and, <laughs> and I hope hopefully we've been able to provide you know three valued but different viewpoints on how to approach the business. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the strengths of Start a Brewery is bringing together veterans like you all that have been in the industry for for decade or decades or multiple decades and and say, what have you seen? You know, what what is that advice and bring that advice to the table because people may not know how to find that in other ways. Um, I think it's super cool. It's so, a great service. Yeah, you guys are doing great work. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for being here. And I'll wrap it up with a big thank you to all of our listeners for joining us now and in the future for episode 002 of the Start a Brewery podcast. We invite you to join us for our next episode, 003, continuing forward with your dream once it's past this gut check stage we just finished talking about and getting into the essential foundational elements that you have to have together to create a compelling business plan. This will be released on Tuesday, January 31st before the roosters crow. <laughs> While you're anticipating the release of our next episode, feel free to visit the Start a Brewery website at startabrewery.com, a free resource for those who are looking to open or grow their breweries. Be sure to look through the task lists, Carrie mentioned those, offered for each stage of the process, plan, act, open, and grow, at the educational resources, and at the offerings from our savvy contributors in our growing library. Tom gets credit for a lot of those articles. Thank you. You can also sign up for an occasional electronic update with our new Startup Brewery contributors, content, events, and more great information on the contact page of the website. We also encourage you to explore the All About Beer website at allaboutbeer.com. Perhaps pop in to enjoy one of their excellent podcasts as well. In the meantime, this has been Laura Lodge and Candace Moon wishing you a terrific day and thanking you once again for joining us on our podcast journey to start a brewery.